Right, we are in Acts chapter 5, and before we get into this chapter, uh, just a reminder, the end of chapter 4 talks about Barnabas, how he had great possessions, and he sold it, and he laid those that money for it at the apostles' feet. That was something that obviously got some attention, stirred things up, great things are happening in the church, a lot of excitement is going, it's just pretty much, uh, so far, so good, with the exception of a little bit of persecution, that they received, but in spite of the persecution, thousands are being saved. And so you better, you know, just count on when things are going good, Satan's going to step in and see if he can't just derail things a little bit. And I believe that's what we see going on here in chapter five. And it says in verse one, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall come and carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth buried her by her husband and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as had heard these things. So this story, this is one we're all very familiar with. We've all heard stories. Uh, if you went to Sunday school, you definitely heard this one in Sunday school and you were scared into not telling lies because you might drop dead, right? We've all, we've all heard this story. It is a great story. Uh, a great lesson can be learned here. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this part of the chapter, uh, this is a very common thing, but I do want to point out a few things that I think are, are important to note. And remember, where we are historically, Israel now is entering a new era. The Messiah has come, the blood has been shed, and God is you know, now doing a great work. Many people are being saved. They now have the Holy Ghost uh, that's indwelling them, and the Holy Ghost has empowered this church so great things are happening, and there's no doubt we're in a transitional period here. And one thing that we often see in the Bible, whenever there were great changes, whenever they would kind of enter into a new era or a new period of time, is we would see God basically um, make an example, you could say. You know, do something really extreme. And I don't personally believe that you know, the message we're supposed to get from this story is if you lie in church, you're going to drop dead. I don't think that's the message. Because I know I've seen people lie in church before and I haven't seen them drop dead. I've seen a lot of preachers get up behind the pulpit and lie through their teeth and they haven't dropped dead. Um, I even know of a preacher who did pretty much this very thing where he committed to sell something and he uh, said he was going to give all the money to the church, sold it, and kept back part of the price. He got a lot more money than he thought he was going to get for it. And, and you know, which... He was already planning on getting nothing. So to me, the more you get, the better, right? But no, he kept back part of it. 
And you know what? He didn't drop dead. But I will say this. It did get found out, and it really hurt his reputation. And not long after that, he got exposed for a bunch of other stuff, and he's out of the ministry. So he, you know, he, he didn't die, but his career as a preacher died. And he was you know, uh, pretty popular at the time, preaching around a lot, pretty well known. So you know, either way, the message was get, God doesn't like this kind of thing. God doesn't want junk like that going on in church. And we should never partake in that kind of thing. But God would often use you know, extreme examples like this to show how he feels about this thing. For example, in the wilderness, in Numbers chapter 15, after they come out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness. Verse 37 says, And while the children of Israel in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they found him that gathered sticks, brought him unto Moses and Aaron, and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward, because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now think about it. This is the first time somebody has broken the Sabbath. And what did they do? They stoned the guy. He died. Now let me ask you. Do you think this is the uh, only time or the... Do you think that this is the only time anybody broke the Sabbath in Israel? Actually, we know that later on in their history, everyone was just doing that, which was right in their own eyes. I mean, there was all, they were breaking all of God's laws. Their history was, I mean, one thing after another. But what was going on here, when God originally gave that law, you know, and they wanted to do, this was an example of them keeping it. And they, this, they actually did things right for one day. But it didn't last very long, did it? It, it didn't last like it was supposed to. But what was God doing? God wanted to make an example to show that he was serious about that law that he gave him. And I'll bet nobody did anything on the Sabbath day for a long time after that. I think watching a guy get stones is going to stick with you for a little bit. And it's like, you know what? I think we got, I got some work I need to get done. But then it's like, you think about that guy, you know, getting hit with all those rocks. You're like, you know, I think you can wait till tomorrow. <laughs> you know, that, that would get the job done. It would be uh, very effective. But um, an example when they came out of the wilderness in Joshua chapter 7. This is a new era. When they came out of the wilderness and they go and they fight that battle. The first one they fight, Jericho. And then remember the story? Achan took of the accursed thing. And it says in Joshua 7.25, And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. I mean, God's making an example here. Hey, I brought you into this land. Y'all better be obedient to me. I'm serious about this. And so I think we're seeing something similar here in the beginning of the New Testament era. But what's interesting, though, what's interesting about this situation here, and this is something we need to keep in mind, is that the church didn't kill them. You, do you know, we, there are no examples in the Bible of the church killing people. Do you know we're not supposed to do that? We have not been granted that authority. We have not. You say, I don't like that. I don't either. But, you know, we, we haven't been granted that authority. So, you know, we're going to obey it. We're going to obey it. We are a separate entity as a church. And, you know, and so the thing is, too, people try to act like, you know, we promote violence by teaching what the Bible says about the death penalty. 
But no, that's not it at all. We believe the government's just supposed to keep doing their job. And we get our ideas about what the government should do from the Bible. And it's like, oh, you're just encouraging your church to do junk. No, we're not. Let me tell you, if anybody in our church ever tried taking the law into their own hands, the last thing we want is to be associated with you. We'll kick you out of this church so fast it won't even be funny. And you know what? We'll cast the first stone at you if the government you know, decides to take care of you for murdering or something like that. Because we don't want, that is not what we're here for. No examples in the New Testament of them ever putting anyone to death. Ananias and Sapphira, they sinned, they lied in church, they were a part of that church. But you know what? Peter didn't lay a hand on them. But let me tell you, the Holy Ghost took care of them. And you know what? The Holy Ghost wants to take care of you. That's great. You know, we won't get in trouble for that. And government can't do any, the government can't do anything to him. But uh, I just think it's interesting. In the Old Testament, whenever this kind of stuff would happen, they did it. God didn't kill the man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. The congregation did. God didn't kill Achan and his family. The congregation did. Ananias and Sapphira, though, when they sinned, the congregation didn't touch them. The Holy Ghost did. And you, will, you cannot find any indication anywhere in the New Testament of the church doing anything like that. And let me tell you something. No church, no legitimate church has ever done that. Legitimate church. Catholics don't count. And Catholics have tried taking over nations and have succeeded. And Catholics have shed the blood of millions and millions. And not just Catholics, ladies and gentlemen. Many of the Protestant groups have done the same thing. Protestants have done that kind of thing. They've tried to conquer the world for Christ and they've used the sword to do it. We've not been commissioned to do that. We've been, we, have, we have not been told to do that in any way and we're not for it. And here's an example of someone literally being put to death in church, but the people did not do it. That is not the way God had ever done things before, but it's the way he's doing things now. Why? Because we are not an earthly kingdom. We're not an earth, ladies and gentlemen, we're not an earthly kingdom. We are a spiritual kingdom. So we do not have any authority to physically do things to people. We can't put you in ward or anything like that. We can't, we can't lock you up. We can't do any of those things. You know, but we can cast you out of here. We can deliver you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But, you know, literally, how do we do that? It's not something we physically do. It's something we can do through prayer. It's something we could do as a congregation to say, you know what, this person is in sin. This person's out of line. This person is going against the word of God. And we can remove them from this congregation and basically, you know, tell the Lord, deal with this person. You know why? Because we can't. We can't physically do anything to anybody in this church. And if we do, we're out of line. We're out of line. God is the one who does the physical stuff. So never forget that. And I think this is a great example of that there. So there are, there are zero examples of the church ever killing anyone in the Bible. Catholics and Protestants don't count. We reject Catholicism and we are not Protestants. We did not come out of the Catholic church. We are not one of the uh, daughters of the harlot. That's, that's not who we are. So, uh, never forget that. So Acts 5.12 says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. 
And notice again, they're still hanging around the temple. Now, I don't know this for sure, but um, from what I uh, remember being told when I was over in Israel that Solomon's porch was something that was right outside the eastern gate uh, that had a, a long bridge that went to the Mount of Olives where they would offer up the sacrifice and stuff. I don't know if that's the case, but uh, this is where they were during this time. And a lot of great, uh, and they're doing miracles there. So again, remember, they're still hanging around the temple. And they're not in violation of anything, okay? You're not accountable for something if God has not revealed it to you yet, okay? And so again, while the temple is technically done, God has not revealed it to them that they no longer need it anymore because there's no doubt God is still trying to do something in Israel, God is doing something in Israel, and God is doing something very specific in Israel. And so, they're there in the temple, we're going to see in a little bit too, where an angel flat out tells them to go back to the temple. So, let's keep reading verse 13, it says, "In the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, and that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities, round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Now, what we're seeing happen right here is really important, okay? Because notice in verse 5, or in verse 12, it talks about how they're doing many signs and wonders among the people. All these things that they're doing, this is very public. Jerusalem seeing what's going on, but it says of the rest, okay, of those other groups hanging around the temple. Remember, this is a separate group. We've got like another sect of Jews that are all gathered together that we call the church, the Christians, the followers of Christ. But at the same time, while they're join, going there on the Sabbath day and they're doing their thing, you've got all the other Jews that are hanging around in their groups. You've got the Pharisees. You've got the Sadducees. You've got these different sects that are there doing their own thing. And so the Pharisees are kind of noticing what's going on, you know, with this new group. They're seeing miracles being done there. And it says, but it says, they durst no man join himself to them. They were afraid to join up with them. They're watching what's going on over on the east side of the temple. You know, you probably had the east side hanging out. Maybe the Sadducees were on the west side and you got the Pharisees on the north side. And it's kind of, man, they got stuff. You know, you know how it is in gangs. You try to join the rival gang. Brethren, they're fearing the group that they that are hanging around. And it says, and believers were more than 5,000. Here it's saying coming from the groups of Jews are seeing this new group. The status quo remained the same. As long as they weren't threatened, as long as everybody's seeing what's going on, we can't keep having these people there, all the excitement of the other crowd, because they're... Now, and let me say it this way. Israel failed to get done. The church did get done. But at the same time, getting it done, ladies and gentlemen, passage, we've talked a lot about it, uh, because this is a passage Jesus referred to at his triumph. It says, Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment, and do hold on it, that keepeth... Saying the Lord, strangers say that they can't be a part of this. And of dogs that were sons and daughters that got cut off. Those ones, I'm going to make a place for them, an everlasting one. I'm going to give them a name because of their old on the covenant. 
I'm going to get, they're not going to be cut off. Stranger that joined themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord. In my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer. For And Jesus called them out for it. He, he called the Pharisees out for shutting people out of the kingdom. They weren't letting them in. It says, The Lord which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. So he said, I'm, I'm going to gather the outcasts of Israel. And so while God wanted this being done, you know, before Jesus Christ came, when Jesus Christ came to check to see what was going on, it wasn't there. Israel shut people out of the kingdom. Turn over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And listen, because Israel failed, the kingdom was taken from them and given to another nation. Remember that. Now Luke 14 verse 16 says, Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. Okay? This, he's, and let me just interpret this three as we go. He invited the Jews. He told the Jews, I want you to come to my supper. And he sent his servant at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Jesus, he comes to earth. What is he preaching to? He's going up, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto them, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. What do you think this is a picture of right here? Listen, Jesus went to the, to the Jews. He went to the good people. He preached to the Pharisees. He preached to these people that were in leadership. The ones that people look to. And let me tell you, Jesus rejected those people. You know why? Because they had no faith. They would not listen to him. So what did Jesus do? He went, you know, who did listen to him? The publicans, the harlots, the outcasts, the down and outers. That's who went to him. And so he goes on and says in verse 22, And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. <clears throat> For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And folks, there's no doubt what this parable is talking about. There's absolutely no doubt that he's saying that, listen, these Jews that weren't listening to me, they're not going to be a part of my supper. But you know what he did? He said, go out and you know what? Expand your search. Go out. Go to the blind. Go to the rejected. Go out into the highways and hedges. Just go everywhere. Go to the other most parts of the world and gather in whoever will come because there's room in my house. And I want my house to be a house of prayer for all nations. I want people from all over the world. That's what God wanted. That's what Jesus was looking for when he came to earth. Or, and when he, but he didn't find it. When he showed up to Jerusalem at the triumphal entry and he did not find what he was looking for, when he found a den of thieves... Instead of people from all over offering up sacrifices, he drove them out. We see in Mark chapter 11, it says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, and sitting a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. 
And Jesus answering and said unto it, No man ain't eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Forever. Now, who do you think this fig tree represents? Israel. Just like Jesus didn't find any fruit in Israel, he didn't find any fruit on this fig tree. And he didn't say, you know, nobody eat any fruit of you for the next 2,000 years until I bring you back. He said, no, nobody eat any fruit from this forever. And you know the story. That fig tree uh, withered up. And it says um, in verse 15, right after that, and they come to Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple, began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught them saying, it is not written, my house, is it not written, my house should be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. So understand, we often say Israel failed to do what Jesus wanted and the kingdom was taken from them. But folks, understand this new group that includes thousands of people led by the apostles were all Jews and they were all of Israel. So guess what? They got it done, but isn't it interesting how it's very clear it had nothing to do with just the fact they were Jews. It had everything to do with the fact they had the Holy Spirit. It had everything to do with Jesus Christ. You know who they gave all the glory to when they were doing all these great things? We, we forget. We forget that they were all of Israel. We forget that they were all Jews because you know they hadn't read the dispensational books and didn't, they didn't see themselves as special and superior. You know who they gave glory to? Jesus Christ. When they wanted to know how they raised, you know, they got that healed that lame man, Peter said, Jesus Christ, whom ye crucified. But understand, these things did end up getting fulfilled, but it's through this new group, the separate group of Jews, that, ladies and gentlemen, we are a part of. That we are definitely a part of. I mean, people will tell you, this is the church. You know, this is early church history. This is our history. And you know what? All this stuff that's going on right here, it's going on amongst Jews, showing again that the things prophesied to Israel were fulfilled, but through Jesus Christ and his people, not a physical group that reject him. And it's absolutely ridiculous to act like, you know, God's going to go and plant that tree again. No, this is the tree he's using, one that included Jews. So verse 17 let me, let me ask you this too, okay? Because another thing interesting too, people, they will acknowledge the fact that the church is fulfilling what Israel failed to fulfill. But here's a question that I have. And that is, if God fulfilled His will with the church, all right, if the church accomplished what Israel failed to do, why does God need to go back to Israel? That's what I want to know. Why does God need to go back to Israel? Another question I have, too, is why aren't these people Israel? Why isn't this Israel getting it done and those other groups are in rebellion and going apostate? I mean, that seems to make a lot more sense biblically. So, uh, you know, if you, if you want to insist that, you know, something's got to be fulfilled through Israel, 
I say, okay, so be it. It's fulfilled through these people. Because guess who these thousands and thousands of people are? They're from Israel. They didn't lose their status. And even the Jews didn't really think they lost their status. They're still letting them meet at the temple. It's not until later that they remove them from there. And I believe it clearly is after God was done with Israel. We're going to get to when God was... God, you know what? Where we are right now, God's not done with Israel in Acts chapter 5. God's not done with Israel yet. Okay? Anybody want to guess when God was done with Israel? What's that? I think stoning of Stephen. I think that's when God was done with Israel. I think that's when it was determined that that nation was not going to come back. Uh, I do think he gave that generation a chance to get saved, you know, the, for the remnant. But God was not going to bring that nation back after that. And we'll talk more about that uh, in a couple weeks. But verse 17 says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. It was the Sadducees they were having problems with last week. And now, here in chapter 5, it's the Sadducees more upset with indignation. Why? Because it's all these common people. Everybody's being joined to them. And you know, they, they don't like that. All these sick, all these outcasts, all these people that they had rejected before, you know, people that they wouldn't let come through that eastern gate, people that they wouldn't let come near the temple, all of a sudden now, this new group's letting these people in that they had shut out before. But the thing is, too, when they would look at these people, there was, nothing, there was no reason to even shut them out anymore. But it still, it made them mad. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of these people, too, who, like, scoff at us for going to the ghettos and stuff to give people the gospel. It's like, you know, what are they going to do for your church? I mean, it's not about what they can do for us. It's about what we can do for them. It sounds a lot like us just doing what Jesus said to do in that parable, going out and getting the sick, getting the maimed, getting the blind. That that's what we're doing. And but people they look at that. And I, I just I don't see. Any, yeah, there is no great physical benefit for ourselves. You know, when you get a church filled with a bunch of down and outers, and you're getting all these new people saved that have a lot of baggage and issues and things like that. You know, it doesn't make you look good. It doesn't make the church bank account skyrocket or anything like that. But you know what? It does please God. It does please God because God cares about their souls. And so this upset them. They didn't like, they didn't like it too. And again, because they, I think one of the reasons they felt they had a say in this was because they are, in, you know, now including people in the things of the temple that they had excluded before. And so now it's like, all right, you're, you got, you've gone too far now. You know, we, we can't have this. And so they, they, have, they, got, they get ugly. So it says in verse 18, And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. And so those in power, they will, they'll always leave you alone until you start gaining more power than them. They don't often fear other ideas as much as they fear you influencing their crowd. And that's why even too... Even in the IFB world sometimes, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put up with your eschatology and, you know, what you think about the Jews and all that, unless we start influencing people. Then all of a sudden we got to start drawing lines. We got to start taking a stand. We can't compromise. You know, it, it's, it's when you become influential that you become a problem. And that's why the IFB, they often attack the IFB harder than they attack anyone else. You know why? Because that's who they're most scared of. You know, have you ever wondered about that? Why is it that people that we're the closest to sometimes doctrinally say the most extreme things about us? 
fear. That's why. Fear of losing, of, you know, you influencing their crowd. And so they, that's why it gets so ugly sometimes. And I'm always flattered, you know, when I get honorable mentions in a church and they don't even have to explain to the congregation who I am. can just literally drop my last name. And apparently the whole congregation knows who I am. And it's like, man, I didn't know I had that kind of info. I've never even been to this church before, but apparently everybody in there knows who I am. If people got to watch it, they're going to give me a big head. And I don't need that, all right? You know, we need to, we've got we to stay humble. But uh, I've been named in so many conferences. I mean, even at a Ruckmanite conference one time. Three speakers and they all named me. You know, I had to do some praying after that. You know, Lord, don't let me get a big head. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't deserve this. And, um, but, you know, that's flattery is another sermon. Never let flattery go to your head. Right, never let flattery go ahead. But people do. They attack. The, they, they do. They, they're, they're most scared of those who have influence. That, that's who they're scared of. And so it often gets weird. So verse 19 says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. And notice too, again, the persecution's escalating. First it was just verbal. But then you know, it got ugly before they laid hands on them. And now again, they're putting them in prison. They're actually going to jail. And I think it's pretty cool that this Old Testament congregation obviously had a jail. God hasn't given... I've never heard of a church with a jail. I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to have one of those. Because again, we don't physically do things to people. Okay? And if we interpreted the Bible consistently... If, if some of the uh, Hebrew roots people interpret the Bible consistently, since they were meeting in the temple then and they had jails and wards that they could put people in... Uh, we can have one of those in church. But uh, I'll bet if we get a church jail, I'll bet we're going to get some government persecution <laughs> if that happens. I, I got a feeling they're not going to like us locking people up. But uh, be, I don't know. I, it, I, I'd like to make that fit, but it, it doesn't work. All right. So we're not going to get a jail here. I promise. But anyway, so the angel uh, by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple. So again, this is where they're supposed to be. To, all the pe- to the people, all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors but when we had opened, we found no man within. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. So, I mean, I just love this. They literally throw these guys in prison and then they decide to basically, you know, put them on trial. All right, go get the prisoners. And like, yeah, they're about preaching in the temple again. And then, you know, they go talk to the jailers. We didn't even know they were gone. And we see God doing miracles like this with angels. We can see it later with Peter just letting him out of prison. Uh, this is an amazing thing. And so these people, they are, they notice how they said they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Where is this going to lead? What is going to happen? Too much is going on here. These people are growing by leaps and bounds. They feared losing power. They did not care about the people. It didn't matter. They're out healing people. You know, they're making people whole. They're doing all these wonderful things, 
But they only feared losing power. And that is a majority of religions today. They only care about power and influence. They do not care about you in the least. And that's one accusation that gets hurled at churches a lot, that it's all about the money, it's all about the power, it's all about control, they don't care about the people. They say that about churches all the time. And did you know that for the most part that's true? That is exactly how it is in a lot of churches. No doubt about it. And that's how it was in Israel during that time. They, they knew what's going on. We saw that in the previous chapter. They're like, we, we can't deny what they're doing. But what did they do? They denied it anyway. They tried to hide what was going on because they feared losing their power. That's all they cared about. You, it's Democrats, Republicans, they don't care about truth. They care about maintaining power. That's all they care about. It does, does not matter. You can catch these people in lies. You can catch people doing anything. Folks, they, they've caught these politicians in adultery. They've caught them in you know, stealing. It doesn't matter. And it's the same thing in churches too. You see it with pastors. They get busted for adultery. They get busted for molestation, whatever. And they'll still keep them in their position. You know why? People join the side. doesn't matter what they do. And people can get nailed doing anything. And people just stay with their side that they chose. It's absolutely pathetic, but that's just human nature. And it says in verse 25, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And you know what? Religious leaders like this, they don't act on conviction. They want to do it violently, but like we can't, people get mad at us. So they're trying to be careful about it because they don't want to get stoned. And so in verse 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So they didn't like being charged with the crime of killing Jesus. But you know what? It was the truth. And they said, we told you not to do this, but they definitely didn't listen. They said, you filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. That's exactly what they should have done. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And during this time, God is still giving them a chance. You know what he was saying when he was preaching to him right there? He was basically saying, God's not done with Israel. He, he's like, we're here. We're preaching repentance. God's giving you repentance. And he, here's a great thing about this passage too, when you understand the context of it. Because you're, the Calvinist crowd, they like to use this verse to prove that God gives you repentance. Meaning, if you got saved, it's because God gave you repentance, meaning he like put it in you to repent. Where someone who doesn't get saved is because God didn't give them repentance. No, giving repentance is basically allowing or, or providing an opportunity for repentance. Because right here he says, God has given repentance repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins but folks did israel repent no they didn't so guess what this throws out irresistible grace god has given israel repentance he's given them forgiveness of sins but you know what they had to take it they had to accept it they had to believe it and because they didn't guess what they didn't get it and let me tell you something god has given repentance 
to the whole world. God has given forgiveness of sins to the whole world, but they must accept that. They must believe on Jesus Christ and then they will in fact have it. So while this is a popular proof text for the Calvinists, uh, they can only get away with it if they're ignoring the context and neglecting to let you know what the results of God giving them repentance was. And the results was there was some, there was a remnant, those who believed, but those who didn't believe didn't get it. They went to hell. So this is actually a horrible verse to use to prove, you know, the forced repentance stuff that they teach. So verse 32, and we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. And again, we saw this last week, it is very dangerous to hear the truth, understand it, and reject it. And that is exactly what they did. They were cut to the heart. What do you think is going on there? You know, they talk about too how the Holy Ghost has to draw you. What do you think was cutting them to the heart right there? You know what it looks like they're doing right here? It looks like they're resisting the Holy Ghost. And you know what? They succeeded. They succeeded even though they were cut to the heart. Is God just making them feel bad so he could send them to hell later? But having made them feel bad, it, it, it doesn't make, you know, the, the stuff Calvinists do with this doesn't make any sense at all. No, the Holy Spirit's convicting these people. They're being cut to the heart, but they hardened their heart and they rejected and they went to hell because of it. So verse 34, um, and so th- they took counsel to slay them. Now they're wanting to take the persecution to the next level. So far, no Christians have died yet. So far, it has not gone that far. God's not done with Israel yet. I personally believe because they haven't killed anybody yet. I, I think when they killed Stephen, the first martyr, this is just my opinion, I think that's when they finally crossed the line. It's like, all right, the ministry in Jerusalem, all right, we're, we're going to start going elsewhere. You know what? I'm going to start working on that guy who is consenting to the death of Stephen. We're going to get him saved. And then we're going to, I'm going to do a major work through him with the Gentiles. And uh, that, that's coming up in another week. But uh, verse 34 says, Then stood there up one council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, and he had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What ye intend to do is touching these men. For before these days rose up Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. And after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply after ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And Gamaliel, with the words that he gave here, he probably actually bought Israel a little more time because he stopped them from actually killing them. But at the same time, they decided they'd beat him first. And so they did. They, they beat these guys. They whipped them. And so persecution, it's ramping up. You know, they've, they've now been in prison. They've now been beaten. But they haven't died yet. And it's so amazing about the Bible. You know, the Bible is a very well-written book. 
And, you know, and unfortunately, when it comes to a lot of preaching, you know, typically we just kind of like take a passage, get a little nugget from it and just kind of run with that thought. And and it's not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to do that sometimes. But we've got to remember the Bible's telling us a story. You know, the book of Acts is telling us a story. And sometimes, you know, we zero in so much on one little fact from the scripture that we miss the big story. And you know what we're seeing here in, in the book of Acts is we are seeing God starting to fulfill some things that he had wanted fulfilled before. Something that was not able to be accomplished through a people that were just of the flesh. But boy, when you had a people that had the Holy Spirit, they started getting it done. Because folks, physically speaking, what was the difference between this sect and the sect before Jesus came that Jesus ran out of the temple. Physically, there were no differences. Even if you look at the disciples before the Holy Spirit, they weren't too much to talk about. There was nothing that impressive with these people. But boy, all of a sudden, these people get filled with the Holy Ghost. We see a great work being done. You know why? Because the work that God wanted Israel to do, it never got done through physical people. It never got done through an earthly government. It got fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And it got and thankfully, Jesus Christ, he uses people, he uses men, but he does it through the Holy Spirit that's in us. Therefore, it's Jesus Christ getting the work done. And let me tell you something, Israel is never going to go back to taking Jesus' place. That's not it's not going to happen. What God wanted done, God always wanted the down and outers. God always wanted the outcasts. God always wanted the people from the other nations. God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is what God has always wanted. And what we, were see, what we are seeing here in this passage is, is, is the Christians are finally getting it done. They're finally doing a great work. Thousands of people are being saved. But you know what? It didn't come without opposition. The persecution, it just keeps ramping up. And it's about to get worse. But here in verse 41, after they've been beaten, it says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know what? They understood the words of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount. And they got a hold of the fact that rewards were coming for him. They're like, you know what we did? Jesus told us this kind of thing was going to come. And you know what else he told us? We're going to have great rewards. And these guys believed it. They didn't have a pity party. They didn't have a therapy session. It, they, didn't, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't give up. They didn't despair. They di- and listen, let's just face it. None of us do this. I mean, how many of us actually leap for joy when we get persecuted? You know, we've been commanded to do that. Now, why don't we? Because we don't have very much faith. These guys actually had faith. And they did. They were excited. And it says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Still in the temple. They're still fighting for Israel. Even though they're having some fierce opposition. But there's, even though it's, it's getting bad. Even though the hatred is growing. They're still being allowed to hang around the temple. Even after this incident where they lock these guys up. They're still daily meeting in the temple. I don't know how much time has passed. But they're there. But they're not liked. You know, they're they're watching everything that they're doing. They're looking for something so they can nail these people, so they can start killing these people. They couldn't handle 
this message. And so as persecution grew, so did the church. And while Satan hated what was going on, there is no doubt God was pleased with what was taking place. And he was doing a great work with many miracles. And so this chapter is a reminder that while the Bible is full of things that are sinful, where there's a lot of condemnation, we also know that God still loves man. God is in the saving business, and we should be doing everything we can to give man a chance. And you know what else we learn from this too? If people miss heaven, it's their own fault. It, it really is. If, if people, to, to reject the gift of salvation, you do have to have an evil heart of unbelief. And again, that, and that's why you know, we're not going to waste our time compassing sea and land you know, for that one proselyte. We're not going to twist people's arms into the kingdom of God. We're not going to, there's too many people out there that are ready to hear, that are ready to listen. There's too many, you know, now unfortunately, they're not always the kind of people that we'd like to get in here. The people that got their act together, the people that got all the money, the people that have, you know, all the talent and everything going for them. Typically, the most willing people to listen are people who are really down in their luck. The people who are sick, the people who are disabled, the people who are, are poor. They're the ones who listen. But let me tell you something. God seems to take care of the people who are doing his work. And you know, I think we get way too focused on earthly means for these things. And what we just need to do is we need, you know, we need to see this, this passage in the Bible. And I, it, you know, when I read this stuff, it does. It just, it makes me just want to go find those, you know, to go to the, to go to the ghettos, to go to the nursing homes. To go to the poor, to go to these the housing projects, to go to these places and give them that message of salvation because they're more likely to receive it and the Lord sure loves it when those people get saved. And so, you know what? That's what we're going to keep doing. We're just going to keep on doing it. And you know what? The other religious groups out there will scoff at us. They're not going to like those people with all this baggage also claiming to be Christians too. Really? Listen, I've been going to church for 50 years. I've never done this. I've never done that. I've been baptized. I've done the sacraments. I've done confirmation. And you're telling me that person in the ghetto who just prayed a prayer, you're going to tell me that they're going to heaven before me? And my answer to that is yes. Yes. And if I could find a shorter word to make it even more clear, I would use that word. Because yes, that is exactly what I believe. The, you know, they're going to go into the kingdom of God before these other people and say, you know what? We need to just do and You know, it doesn't cost a lot of money to reach people like that. You don't have to have the big fancy buildings, do the big, you know, fancy entertainment and all that kind of stuff. It, it's, not expens, it's not an expensive thing. Have you ever thought? It, you know, it's expensive to build a palace. It's expensive a lot of times to have a lot of the fun ministries that everybody wants in churches. But you know what is not expensive at all is soul winning. It's, it's not. It, it's a really cheap thing. And I think that that is, you know, if, if we just focus on that, if we need these other things, I think God will take care of us. The Lord has been really good to us here with the facility he's given us, all, all the material things we've been allowed to have. The Lord has been very good to us here, considering the size of our church, how long we've been around all the things we have, and, and I think it's because we're doing his business, what he wants, wants to get done. And you, let me tell you, 
They made a huge deal about that temple before. Jesus said there wasn't going to be one stone left upon another. And you know what we don't see after they destroyed that temple? The church trying to build another one like it. Trying to outdo it. We're not... And too many churches get way too caught up in building buildings. And again, they're, they're, they're a need. They can be a necessity. It's okay to have them as long as you keep your priorities right. But let's never, ever get away from the real priority. And that is the souls of men. Because that's what Jesus came for. And as soon as, as, soon as a building starts getting in the way of that, I think we're going to get, in, I think we're in danger of losing that. And so, uh, just a little, um, you know, side lesson there about the importance of soul winning and going out into the highways and hedges, compelling them to come in. That is the most important work that we do. What we do on Saturday, what we do on Sunday afternoon is, is so important. I believe the assembling together is also absolutely necessary, but as far as our work that we do, our efforts, what we accomplish, I think takes place out there when we're talking to people. And we got we got to stay at that. we got to keep busy with that. The most important thing. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was help and motivation, everyone. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, what we see of uh, common people. Lord, uh, being added, it's, it's so clear in the Scriptures. Lord, we are nothing. There's uh, nothing about us that deserves any place in your kingdom but lord you've provided a way through jesus christ and i pray you'll help us to never forget uh that he is the source of all these things that he gets the glory and credit for it i pray you'll help us to never forget why we are here help us to always uh follow this uh, example we've seen here of just going uh to anyone that will listen and presenting the gospel and just uh, continue getting people saved until you return your name we pray amen